Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Preview. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hanford and Michael Sudwick to look ahead to tonight's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, where we get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, but oh, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bigger quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to look ahead to AEW Dynamite tonight. First of all, gents, I would like to wish you both a happy National Cowboy Shiz Day. And I know you two have both covered it, but this is going to be a show all about full gear, fallouts, uh, having had a few days to, to drink it all in. Sidge, what do you make of the pay-per-view? It was a fantastic show with some fantastic matches that wasn't sequenced or paced, formatted, however you want to put it, fantastically at all. Um, I went back last night and watched Miro versus Brian Danielson again because I'm thinking everyone loved this match. I love Brian Danielson. Miro's great as well, but I adore Danielson. He's on my Mount Rushmore. And I felt that match was just in some way lacking and then I watched it again, and it's fantastic. It's genuinely tremendous. It's excellent. The little tiny splashes of nuance that are sprinkled throughout between Miro's facial expressions, the way that Danielson builds his attacks. It's, it's a fantastic professional wrestling match, but I'm watching it third on a card that was already 50 minutes old, thinking... My brain was thinking, are they going to be able to time the rest of the show effectively? Could I have done with a nice little 10-minute ripper to just keep up the enthusiasm le levels rather than getting drawn into another really long match? Um, there were things on that show that I've loved as much as anything AEW has produced. And Christ knows I'm a mark for this promotion. But as a general, I watch from minute one to minute last <laughs> experience. I was just a bit, oh, come on, lads. This is meant to have just accelerated by thrillingly, almost like when it finishes, you think, I can't wait to watch that again. Oh, it's a shame I'll never be able to watch it live again, but, you know, I'll always have it on demand. But what a thrill ride that was. But at various points, too many, I was just thinking, come on, lads, take it home. Yeah, I so I watched this on Sunday, not realising I was slowly descending into the pits of illness. So excuse me if my memories are a little skewed of all this. I thought, I'm not going to go through every match, obviously. You guys did that, and you can still listen to it right now, wherever you get your podcast from. I thought, and I'm biased, but 
MJF Darby Allen was a sensational opener. Yeah. Uh, I loved that match and that really got me hooked into the pay-per-view. I'm probably just echoing the thoughts you you guys had where I, like I really enjoyed the pay-per-view, but I felt like the majority I'd say of matches, not all, but the majority of matches, I was like, oof, you probably could have cut five minutes out of some of these matches. Um, the obvious one is the, the Falls Count Anywhere, Cage, Jurassic Express, uh, Super Click match. I just thought, uh, there was about five times where I thought, oh, cool, cool, we're heading home now. And they just just didn't. And, you know, the, the inner circle versus men of the year, American top team, we all knew where that was going. But having said all that, we also had a show hamlet where I think I remember this right. This might again have been a fever dream. Did CM Punk basically do John Cena's build up to the five knuckle shuffle? And just to clarify, Hangman Page is world champion, right? Both those things are correct. And let me just check. Uh, yeah, yeah, full gear is just finished, so I'm ready for Dynamite. I'm very ready for it. It was, it was a, it was a good show. Um, and the moments you've just identified there, I haven't. Uh, I rewatched. Uh, Brian and Miro ahead of our review, actually, because um, I, I watched the bulk of it twice over the weekend. I didn't get those vibes second time around. Maybe the third one will be the rewarding one for me. Um, but I guess it speaks to this product that you would make time to watch things twice because um, WWE often makes it hard enough to watch it once. <laughs> uh, the the big moments were paid off. I, on, like, seeing Cedric, I guess, is like, Try to revisit um, Brian and Miro. I'll go for the main event, I guess, because I guess it's going to give us a segue into Cowboy Shiz Day. I, like, I felt not quite as much as I expected to when Hangman Page lifted the title, but these things are all subjective. And a lot of people were talking online about how they were just in tears watching the moment play out. And that's tremendous. I I felt it lacked, the, like the match itself didn't create in quite enough of a sense of euphoria that I would have anticipated for Hangman Page getting his moment. But it was lovely and deeply, deeply satisfying all the same because it was just that, we talk about this a lot when it comes to CM Punk. Now I've certainly banged on about it, that... Like, if you need evidence that they can pay off a two-year storyline, just watch the one that's already happening. And we've had it. And if anything, I've sort of I've got that I got that vibe more for Hangman Page winning the world title when the press release came out, because it occurred to me that we're living in that world now. And I got that more from seeing that and the realization of Hangman Page referring to himself as champion and visualizing him sat with his uh, belt round his waist, his cowboy boots up on the desk, dictating this message to be typed out to the world visualizing that was suddenly this high that I hadn't really experienced at the end of full gear. So that is to say maybe the, all the variants in sequencing issues just, just felt, I felt too tired. Maybe that's what it was. I just felt too tired to jump around the room for this moment as I might have done on a, a dynamite, for example, as I kind of did when the stay puff marshmallow man's head came off the costume on Halloween. Um, so I have no doubt that this presentation of page night is going to be fantastic. I've, and I've like fantasy booked a Bret Hart return um, just to try and will it into existence because they kind of touched up, they had in there two years ago and it'd just be a nice convenient thing to be able to do based on all the Bret teases lately. But just the very idea of this company that excels in television wrestling, having their first opportunity to present Hangman Page on television tonight is fabulous. Like I'm so excited for him to have that belt on a dynamite where AEW does all of this best. Sid, what do you reckon uh, happens tonight with with uh, Hangman? Obviously, you know, hometown celebration. I'm certainly not suggesting, as some might, that he should put the title on the line and lose it in his hometown to create well, a bucket loads of heat. But 
I mean, I've, I've mentioned him and I'd, I'd love to know your thoughts on the match. I'm going to sort of crowbar it in here. But MJF stock is, is pretty high right now. Absolutely. He knows exactly what he's doing because he's incredible at it. The very first thing he did after beating Darby Allen in a match, Will Bourne, that me and Hamlet, incidentally, were as high as you were on. I think we've all, we all know that MGF's great in the ring, and maybe it shouldn't surprise us, but like, Jesus Christ, it was like phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. It was uh, Hamlet's best match of the show, I think. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the very first thing he tweeted after beating Darby Allen was, Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia, here I come. He didn't yeah. say dynamite, here I come. He specified Hangman Page's home state, which whether it was just a red herring or just at some point down the line, I'm going to specify where you're from because I'm specifying you as my next target or whatever. Maybe I'm reading too much into a tweet, but he certainly seems like he's, well, he's been very well built as Darby Allen's next challenger over the course of the last, uh, Hangman Page's next challenger over the course of the prior two years. Tonight, I would just rather see some indirect build towards the TV match with Danielson, where, as we'll get to, Danielson will presumably beat Evil Uno. It's a hometown celebration, and AEW being the babyface company, apart from Jay Lethal, uh, will want to just give a babyface a really nice pop and a really nice moment. And if it's a heel challenger who's going to do something in, around, or beyond Danielson, and then we know like it set up several things at once. You don't really want to have the heel get chased off by the babyface at the first attempt at putting down the marker and saying, like, I'm next for you. Um, having said that, on those like weirdly forgotten two dynamites before after Revolution 2020 and before the world changed. It feels like it was Revolution and then Empty's Daily's Place. There were actually two episodes of Dynamite with like Jay the Snake and I think Moxley was beaten down on his first night as Babyface World Champion because that's just how these things work. So I think the hometown thing and how specifically emotional the Hangman Page stuff has been, I think it could just register as a nice moment that in a really dorky way, that you might be a little bit lame. I don't think you are, but as a 36-year-old guy, maybe I shouldn't be so invested in someone who's younger than me playing a fictional character. But it's a, in my specific example, Hangman Page's arc's very relatable to me. So I would just like to see him win for a second time before the normal business of episodic TV re- resumes. Yeah, Hamlet, on our, on our big preview from, from last weekend, I seem to remember we were talking about, you know, this championship eliminator tournament final and then when this match would take place. We assume, I don't know if this has been developed upon in the, in the you know, fallout from, from full gear. Uh, we assume that that match will go down possibly on that big welcome to the new channel show for, uh, for AEW. So then you could potentially book the next challenger uh, at Revolution. For me, it has to be MJF. So potentially tonight, what, maybe he comes out, slags off the local town and says, cool, have a good match against Danielson and whoever wins, I'll sort of see you at Revolution potentially. I mean, yeah, that's there if you want to do it. Um, the fact that wins and losses matter and a ranking system exists shows um, a real confidence to MJF that he thinks that he'll be the guy by the time that Revolution rolls around. So that's a nice way that you can employ wherever, like I've not got them in front of me, but wherever MJF currently sits in the rankings, that's a way that you can use that, that he intends very much to be there, regardless of who wins out of Page and Danielson. I would expect tonight, if nothing else, um, 
if there was going to be a major development for if it goes beyond as Sidwick said which I would also be fine with it, a, a nice night for Hangman Page if it goes beyond that and it attempts to actually um try and talk about the future of the title I wonder if it might just be worth doing the big graphic drop that you sometimes get on Dynamite where you see um obviously it won't be winter is coming but yeah and if it was for that the big first night on TBS the, the what you would assume to be a show that they're going to load up in January and they just put that graphic up for the first time. That gets people excited, as it should, because like the title match already exists, so you can absolutely wrap a story around it now. But the visual of Hangman Page versus Brian Danielson and for the AEW title, it's going to have people talking for days. We, we haven't seen it manifested yet, but we know it's going to happen. So I think it's a pretty cool thing to start the build to the TBS mood. Now, how many times, just again, this, this kind of like, don't do what WWE does, Remember when they moved to the Thunderdome and we just thought it was a perfect opportunity for Retribution to wreck the place and they never did. It was like, well, this is what this group does and you're leaving the building. Do something with that. Like, AW are changing networks. As we've discussed on other podcasts, this is a not insignificant thing, especially in the way American television work. It's like when there's time slot changes. It's just There's a different headspace of that kind of thing over there than there is over here. And it would behoove AEW, of course. I know that they're under the same family of channels, but for the benefit of their viewers, for the mythical casual observers, the casual fans, and just in general to kind of like speak about it as much as you can to talk about this title match being the thing that you're going to like hang as the new big thing on the new big network. So I, I see that it feels like there's no time like the present to start talking about that because it also allows you to believe this card's going to be big and think about what else might get booked for it as well. Sige, you're more knowledgeable about this sort of thing. How many matches normally go down on Dynamite? We've got, what, five scheduled for tonight's show? Six is the usual standard. That's six. What more often than not, there's six matches. But that was what I was thinking. I was thinking maybe of a convoluted way to, to, to have my cake and eat it too. You have the nice Hangman page, big celebration, no interruption from MJF, and instead later on in the show, although this may be ruined by the time this podcast comes out because they'll have announced the six match, as they often do. Instead of that, just have MJF beat a local competitor and have him say, well, there's another local guy defeated and I'll beat the other one in Revolution or something. There's two approaches here, and I don't know which is best. One, the fact that this is an all-babyface match in which Danielson will play situational heel. That's almost by the by, because if they do something with MJF hinted at as the pay-per-view or the TV match beyond Page versus Danielson, you at least get the idea that, oh, well, Hamman Page isn't necessarily going to win. In the same way where you know where you thought, like, if Miro, Miro versus Kenny Omega was never happening. Yeah. Whereas Danielson versus MGF theoretically could. So when you're watching Page versus Danielson, even if it's been very much telegraphed that MGF is the next one in line, you could still go into it thinking... Oh, well, it could very well be Danielson because he could yeah. be a baby face against MGF. It's one of my AEW dream matches, in fact. I would still be tempted to just not do this thing that sometimes AEW does too often, where it's very obvious that the TV match you are going to see is, in fact, a TV match and not this big potential title change match. Yeah. And they did it last year way too often, like when Archer won the Casino Battle Royale. And then... He sat down to watch Moxley versus MGF, and I'm thinking they're not doing Archer versus MGF. Yeah. Um, so I would just like Danielson versus Hangman Page when they need a big rating for this TV special. If in fact this match takes place yeah. on the first TBS in um, New Jersey, actually, I think it is uh, the Newark Center. 
I genuinely would just have no real hint as to the title picture beyond that and make it feel like the biggest Jesus Christ of title change might actually happen here. Uh, speaking of title matches, uh, I don't want to cover old ground if you've been talking in detail about the, the signing of Jay Lethal on the uh, Full Gear review pamphlet, but he is challenging for the TNT Championship tonight against Sammy Guevara. Your thoughts on, well, just everything. Well, yeah, I won't cover some of the old ground, so I'll cover some of the other instead. Um, Sammy Guevara has got to try and make this more entertaining than a three-and-a-half-star match, because that's what Jay Lethal will typically promise, um, which was uh, less significantly... like The less the reason of less significance as to why the Jay Lethal signing might not have been the most appealing. Um, but this is... Frustratingly, this is perhaps what Jay Lethal's here to do. Um, Sammy Guevara will win. Uh, the match will be decent. It, it, look, it might be great. It might be something that we're really excited about tomorrow. There is going to be the typical emotional disconnect with a, a guy like Jay Lethal, which is going to extend itself to that feeling that you sometimes get a, around a wrestler and you don't want that on AEW because we've talked so much about how much this is a vibe promotion and you don't want the vibe to be brought down a bit. And it, and it will be, it will be. Um, so they'll be looking for the match to be as explosive as possible. I don't think they're deaf, not only to the... Um, the conversation about the allegations around Jay Lethal. But I don't think they're deaf to the discussions of what, has this guy really still got it in the ring? You know, you just wanting to ultimately get the best out of the Macho Man impersonation. If he like, if he busts out the Black Machismo gimmick, which he's not going to here, but is that what their long play with the Jay Lethal signing is? Or do they want him, as I think Sidgwick nailed this, the babyface Bobby Fish, you know, the guy that like is there to lose to the heels. I'm not saying Sammy Guevara is one, but like long-term, a guy that is going to have dependable matches where he can put over heels. Um, this is the night that you put him over and beat him. So the idea tonight is that this is explosive enough that when Jay Lethal loses, he's not lost so much that he can't then be used to help elevate others around him. I have no doubt it'll be a tremendous learning experience for Sammy Guevara as he continues his own ascension. That's not how I'm supposed to watch a wrestling show. I'm just trying to think of things that they'll be probably rationalising uh, and Guevara retains. What I will say, aside from Jay Lethal, like, it'd be nice to make some of the conversation about Sammy Guevara again because it hasn't been enough since he won the belt. So for the good of him and for the title, this is way more in the direction I want it to go. He was given command of the Inner Circle uh, America Top Team feud once and he, he sort of dropped the ball a bit. And I think a little bit of that is always because you're going to be in like contrast and very sharp contrast to Chris Jericho in those big bombastic microphone moments. So um, this is, this is if nothing else, time to get back to business for Guevara as the champion. Yeah, I'm pissed off about this because it's just such a bad thing for AEW to do, realistically. And say this show was a 10 on paper, it would only ever be an eight, knowing that Lethal's involved. Like, I can't personally, keyword, personally, I cannot personally, emotionally invest in a J-Lethal match because I don't want to ignore the stories that continue to surround him, and there's more than one. Um, I just feel like it would be unethical on some level. And it's, just, it's not something I can really put to one side. Um... And it's like, I've never seen a Jay Lethal match that went over three and a half stars, personally. I've been entertained by Jay Lethal. I'm not going to pretend that I haven't. His, his macho impression's fantastic. And I worry that that's why he's got the job, because the boys think it's fantastic as well. Oh, wouldn't it be great to hear that in person once a week? Who cares about, you know, what people have said or alleged? He's our mate. Like, I hate that idea. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to watch this. I know for a fact there's 15 minutes on Dynamite tonight that I'm not going to be into. And 
the worst thing about my coining of babyface Bobby Fish is that knowing what I know of Tony Khan's book and habits, we are going to see a goddamn lot of Jay Lethal over the next four to six weeks. We saw it with 2.0 and Garcia. When he falls in love with an act that he doesn't have any big plans to push, he will, Tony Khan, this is, will go like, oh, I love watching him. Oh, he's really useful in this role. Let's use him and use him and use him. And then without long-term plan, he'll think. And he does have long-term plans for other things. I'm not saying he doesn't, but he goes five or six weeks. We've seen so much Bobby Fish, so much Bobby Fish recently. We saw so much 2.0 in the summer. I think we're going to have bloody so much Jay Lethal over the past, over the next rather four to six weeks where we're going to be sick to the bloody sight of bad vibe, three and a quarter star matches. And then, you know, 2.0 are kind of an elevation act. They don't really do anything. I think Tony Khan's realized I might have burnt the audience out on the charms of 2.0. So stick them on dark and dark elevation. And maybe we'll do something down the line. We're just going to see loads of them and I can't be asked. The thing about the matches, um, Jay Lethal might play situational heel and target the ribs. And maybe that's a bit sly because the whole idea is, oh, I really want Sammy Guevara to win. And I, you know what? I actually do because Jay Lethal is a knob and I don't want to be suckered in that way, but maybe I will be. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Let's cheer you up instead. Talk about Brian Danielson then. Uh, number one contender, as you, as you mentioned. Uh, tonight he's facing Evil Uno. Intriguing this match. It is. I don't think it'll be shockingly good. I just think it will be very, very, very good indeed. Um, I expect Danielson to, given that he's going up against Hangman Page and Evil Uno himself on a much smaller cult level has got like a really sort of endearing personality and a cult following he has developed as a result of that. I think Danielson will be a prick. I think Danielson <laughs> will play the role of a total prick in this match. Like he'll chop him in the knees like he'll just contort him into various positions. And Evil Uno has got an absolutely incredible fire-up spot sequence. He's got... Can remember, and I know people don't like to think about it as great as it was, um, but can remember the Brody Lee celebration of live show? 
when it was Kingston, Butcher and the Blade versus Archer, Uno and Grayson. And Evil Uno and Eddie Kingston had this like sort of strong style slap exchange deep in the heart of that match. And it was incredible. I genuinely think people are going to be astonished at how good Danielson versus Uno is going to be, but I don't think they should be. We know who's going to win. And I feel sorry for Uno because not only is he vastly underrated, but like people kind of would want to see Silver and Grayson. But, you know, that's why you build storylines. I think we are going to get Danielson versus Insert, insert Dark Order member. You'll get to the fireworks factory, but guess what? You're going to go to a... Fi- <laughs> it's not even the only fireworks factory. <laughs> Danielson Evil Uno is going to be a fire- fireworks factory as well. So enjoy it and believe in Evil Uno. It's just not specifically about this match, but about that story. Um, it's like Danielson just kicking the heads off the Dark Order one by one's kind of an arsehole thing to do, isn't it? Like yeah. that's that's the way that you're making the situation on the off Hagman page. I have spent two months decking your friends. Like that's <laughs> a, and it's not even gonna like read as intentionally cruel. It's just been like, I just went to Tony and got myself a match. I didn't know they mean anything by it. I just concussed every single one of the people out to get to where you got to. I just put negative one in cattle mutilation. What's the problem? <laughs> right, it's good stuff, that. Um, quick word, actually, because I, I haven't mentioned him yet. Uh, on, on Kenny Omega, Sige, uh, I've been borrowing your phrase. So I should probably go to you straight away about him being effectively thrashed. It, are they going to write? I know he's obviously he, been reporting all this week about his, his various injuries, wrestling through bloody vertigo and all that. Do you think he's going to be written off on tonight's show? Do you think he's just going to be, you know, dismissed? Is it is it going to be covered and say, look, he's not here, he's got injuries, and then maybe he goes away for a few months? What do you think is right for him? And also, wider in a wider picture for the for the elite now with the young books and their involvement, obviously in the main event as well. Loathe Wilborn, though I am to put over anyone on Reddit Squared Circle, right? In one day. I'm already, I've already stopped giving quite a few of them, but I've finally run out of my last Fs. I'll tell you specifically why I do not like that community. Not everyone involved in it is a dickhead, obviously. It's not a hive mind. It's, it's some of the right pricks, right? And I'll shoot, brother, one of these days. <laughs> I did read on Squared Circle, which I'm kind of drawn to in that. You know when sometimes you'll go on certain journalist Twitter account who you hate, but you just do it to it, rile yourself up. I'll sometimes go on Squared Circle. And someone did a great take. That just captures succinctly everything I'm going to waffle on about. Kenny Omega looks like he's suffering from Tanahashi syndrome, where, and Tanahashi, I think, is better at suffering from Tanahashi syndrome because, like, he's better the more broken he is because he's so great at selling and drawing sympathy. And Kenny Omega is a much more explosive kind of super athlete performer. So... Tanahashi, Hiroshi Tanahashi, for any listeners who are unaware of him and um, the latter phase of his career when he was no longer at the tippy-top peak of New Japan Pro Wrestling, has simply suffered injury upon injury upon injury upon injury and then just decided, oh, I'm just about healed up or I can still work through it. I'll just do it. My worry is that Omega's got that mindset now of he just wants to do this regardless of the long-time impact that might have on his body because he's such, he's so competitively driven that he might look at Danielson and go, oh, you know, I was going to take time off, but I can't have him 
I just cannot have him being known as the best wrestler in AWR. He's just got that mindset, and that's what I worry about for him. Apparently, according to the latest episode of Wrestling Observer Radio, he's due to be evaluated on Wednesday. You can evaluate him all you want. Like, he's knackered. Like, I love him, and I think it's incredible how well he has performed in spite of his injuries. But all you have to do is go back and watch anything from 2017 and 2018 New Japan and think that this version of, of Omega, despite still being incredible, is not the same. Like the propulsion, the acceleration isn't there. You'll notice he used to do certain moves that he doesn't do as much anymore. Like he used to do like a springboard moonsault off the top rope. I haven't seen him dust that one off in a while. And I know why it's because he's working within his limitations. So I worry that he's got the mindset that he will just want to continue. But the worst thing is, it's like he's never been more physically broken and in need of a layoff and he's there's never been an, as much of a luxury in terms of the big AEW picture right now to enable them to do precisely that you've got punks barely started danielson is just doing amazing things adam cole's barely had like a big main event level singles picture like i'll be annoyed with my favorite wrestler of all time if he doesn't take four to five months off here. And the thing is as well, Hamlet, because I know it, it's been talked about that he should take time off for, for a long while. And I believe the reports recently said, he's always said, yeah, I will take time off. I just want to make sure I, you know, drop the title and put, put Hangman over, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, as Sige mentioned there, I think Meltzer's quote was, a litany of things is wrong with, with Kenny Omega. It also works really well in storyline right now. He's just lost the title. You know, they don't do bollocks rematches just out of nowhere on AEW. He can disappear. And in that, you know, with that, that void that's created, Adam Cole can step in. And, you know, like like I said, you can do more with the Young Bucks as well for when Kenny Omega comes back to be like, what the fuck's going on here, lads? I thought you were just going to be sort of moping around missing me. And yet they've moved on completely without him sort of thing. Yeah, it is perfect, honestly. The less we are asked to read into about Matt Jackson's nod to Hangman Page on Sunday, right now, the better. Like, that was so pivotal into whatever is going to come next. And it's going to... That felt like... It, it did feel like the start of a new story just before the old one ended. You know, it, 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 you can draw a line now in the Hangman Page element of this the elite saga and move on to this new Kenny Omega chapter. But based on his, like, current physical status... And based on, as Sidgwick's pointed out, just the litany of other options that AEW have made for themselves, that it's it's not that he won't be missed. And I think wrestlers maybe don't realise that sometimes. I think they've all come up in a version of the industry that has told them that if you disappear, someone else is going to take your spot. And then, like, you know, you're no longer going to have the fans' hearts. Like, that's not the case, but wrestlers have always been manipulated into thinking like that because it's such like a greedy and terrifying capitalist shark tank that they just think, well, I have to, I have to be there. I hope he's able to look beyond any of that and understand what the, the, the unbreakable bond that he's got with this fan base as a, and I don't just mean like as a character, as a heel, as a baby face, but as a wrestler, as a, you know, a, a core component that we talk about the four pillows, the four pillows as they are now, like he's one of the real pillars, isn't he? We all know that. And I don't like, none of that is going to change. And what I would like is, if they're going to do anything with him tonight that is appearing on television um, is for him to just go out with a ring and say something along the lines of, I don't know what is next for Kenny Omega. Like one of them little clues that they love that the elite love to drop in. Like 
I've seen a lot of the footage from Sunday back. And that's all he says. We don't know what he thinks about that, but we know that he's seen it. And we're, what, what bit of the footage are you on about, Kenny? Did you see the nod or what? Like that? And he's, but I don't know what's next to me. And he's just a bit of a forlorn figure. And then the coin drops and it's Okada's music. And they don't need to physically engage, but you get the huge pop. And I have read like how much people want that pop as much as anything else about Okada walking through the forbidden door is that music hitting and the realization that the Rainmakers in AEW and enormous, enormous things are about to go down. And Kenny Omega still walks away, but he walks away with the promise of Revolution 2022's first match being announced. Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada in AEW, where Tony Khan has probably wanted it all along. And there is no story needed. There is no build beyond. It's a bit like it mirrors very much, in fact, um, the, the Danielson match in a sense where the match sort of existed before it existed in like Cedric dreams before it was ever put on television as the next chapter, as the next Omega Ricardo one does, it doesn't need the story. It needs the mention of it. It needs Omega to go and disappear and come back fully fit. And that be his first night back. He fights Ricardo irrespective of other stories. And then you get back to the meat of the angles. That's complete fantasy booking. I'm very aware, but I think there's, it just, I like to think that illustrates that there are so many ways that you can disappear Kenny Omega in satisfying fashion. I've got a different and a much worse idea for because it's Ricardo's AW. <laughs> and that's and that's why I wanted to say that one. Yes. Christ. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about the Forbidden Door in, in a few minutes' time. Uh, I also love the fact that I sat, sat here listening to you talk about it, and especially when Sid was like, Yeah, Omega's been wrestling within himself. That like a lot of people would kill to wrestle within themselves and look like he's looked incredible. The the, the output he's put out. Uh, over the past few years, despite, like you say, uh, the stuff he's been going through. We'll talk more about the Fidden Bindendor uh, after we've talked uh, about uh, Dante Martin and Leo Rush versus the acclaimed. There's uh, presumably going to be developments with Dante Martin potentially joining Team Taz Hamlet and Martin and Leo Rush, um, as I believe I think it was Sidge tweeted about, rising up the tag team rankings as well. Maybe it was Murray, I can't remember. But well, yeah, it was well, you. Can I take it on very quickly? If you notice the patterns, Danny Martin and Leo Rush defeat uh, Seidel and Lee Moriarty. They are established as a unit and a successful unit. Instantly, they are given another match as a tag team against the acclaimed tonight. That sets my uh, fantasy book and brain gears whirring in motion. They can beat some ham and eggers on dark. And then they can have like another Dynamite or Rampage match night. Well, you're the number one contenders. And it works because at least two of these have really been on Dynamite. Mm. And then you do Dante Martin and Leo Rush versus the Lucha Bros, which would be absolutely out of this world incredible. Not only is it incredible, but it's purpose-serving because when that's the one that they can't win, Leo Rush, like, sort of rubs his hands of Dante Martin, beats it out from the post-match. Then you have the singles match between Dante Martin and Leo Rush, which would be out of this world incredible. That is where I'm thinking it's going. The team Taz thing's a bit of a wrinkle in that nerdy plan of mine. But I think it continues tonight in a match that won't be as good as last week, let's face it. Um, I think it's more of a, of a stepping stone. You'll get a fun wrap and a few fun spots, but you're not going to get last week's match uh, by any stretch. Uh, Team Taz inclusion, and I thought this like as soon as they kind of got folded into the Leo Rush, Danny Martin feud, 
is another case of AEW, I think, genuinely not realising that they've already done a good enough job with something. I expect um, Team Taz to, you know, like test the loyalty of Dante Martin to Leo Rush, and I guess vice versa, um, with Taz making him an offer he theoretically can't refuse, but he will, and it'll lead to a tag match, and it'll further enforce the relationship between Leo Rush and Dante Martin is rock solid. And that's good storytelling. You know, it's like we as wrestling fans like enjoy seeing the, the beats of these things and knowing that down the road, this is leading to a singles match. What, like Leo, as we said from the very beginning, Leo Rush has literally picked a pair of brothers to get in between, to try and be the corrupt, to try and get the corrupted influence while one's on the shelf. He's coming in and thought, I, I'll have some of that. I'll take my 10%. Um, so I love the idea that Team Taz will be a test of that because a bit like the match that they won on Dynamite, which was awesome, um, you have to do that. Otherwise, Dante Martin looks stupid. If the whole world can see Leo Rush's game plan and Dante Martin looks thick, they've already done a good job of that. But I think that they want to be the great storytelling company, not just the acceptable one. So Team Taz being a further test of that, tease up one more match, one more angle. It's possibly predominantly Rampage fodder, but it's half-decent Rampage stuff. And that's better than them chucking something on last minute because they think that the card's too weak, you know? It's an angle that is, like, worthy of Dynamite or Rampage rather than darker elevation. And you'll probably get, um, you know, like, Martin and Leo Rush versus Starks and Hobbs. It's cool. <laughs> it's, it's really cool. If and when, like, Leo Rush and uh, Dante Martin rebuff Taz, there's an awesome match off the back of it. And the, like I say, the, the heightened relationship between the two that makes the turn nastier when it occurs. So I just think they're there to enhance a story that AW probably don't realise is already pretty good. Uh, we've also got the uh, quarterfinal of the TBS Women's Title Tournament going down tonight. Nyla Rose versus Hikaru Shida. How do you see this one going, Hamlet? Well, hopefully. Um, they've got like mixed fortunes together, but the good was really, really good. Um, Nyla Rose was absolute patter on the uh, the pre-show on um, Sunday. One of the, the highlights of a, a sort of wonky tag match that didn't make the best use out of the division and, you know, like same old story on that front. Um, and truthfully, I think the tournament needs it as well. Uh, Deben Shida was awesome. The rest has somewhat underwhelmed, but the arrangement hopefully from here now will carry this forward to the point where the belt feels like a huge deal by the time it's going to be handed out on that on that special next year. Um, I expect the Nyla Rose win, and they've worked for it, you know. Um, Shida's going to have that that slightly damaged leg. She's going to... Um, Serena Deeb was there in the crowd, so while we'd have all wished she was in the ring on Sunday, on Saturday, sorry, the point of that was that they were, they were making it clear that she's a constant observer of all of this. She as she said when she lost in this tournament match, the whole point of this for her was to get back in the mix and show all of these women that she is far superior to the rest of them and she's not being given the opportunities, so she'll just have to sit front row and wait. I don't even mind if it's an angle because, like, Deep Sheeta 3 is going to be amazing. But maybe, you could argue they possibly should have got there in time for full gear, but I'd like to think that that match is going to be big enough that they're going to trust it to do well on a, on a Dynamite or a Rampage main event or something like that. Um, so we'll get... I would imagine we'll get everything we expect. I just hope that the match is up to the, the heights of what these two have done rather than some of the clunkier lows. Yeah, it's impossible given their uneven record together in the ring to forecast 
what this might be. I'm hoping the fact that there's one sort of central storyline thread here, that being Sheeda's injury, Nyla Rose's gleeful exploitation of it, Sheeda's spirit in the face of the fact that she's getting like unfairly beaten down. That should shape her character's defines the comeback spots. Like kept simple, this could be like really, really good. Um, so I hope that's the case. Uh, I don't want to be cynical necessarily, but you kind of have to be. What's the uh, bracket? Who does the winner face? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, one second there. I should have got this prepared. Oh, the winner faces. Ah, yeah. Chris Statlander or Ruby Soho. Ah, I mean, that opens it up. That opens it up a little bit, but Soho's going to win. Yeah. So one would definitely expect Nyla Rose to win. And that would allow, and at least Sheeta gets storyline development to tie up business with Serena Deeb in the event of a loss. Like, that's decent booking, that. That is decent booking. Um, aye. Good. Yeah. Fine. Like George W. Bush's memoirs from The Simpsons. Good memoirs. Good. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think Nyla Rose wins this as a result of the injury to Sheeda. Uh, one final match to talk about, and I'm going to use this as a springboard stage to talk uh, more about the forbidden door swinging open yet again. It is the Butcher and the Blade versus, I didn't think I'd be saying this, Orange Cassidy and Tomohiro Ishii. Sige, how, how excited are you for this? I mean, what a tag team. An absolutely incredible tag team. I loved it the second that it appeared on the graphic. I just, you know, the the juxtaposition between those two characters, the fact that the same kind of people like them both for completely different reasons. It just feels like something that Tony Khan knew would just be considered an unapologetic treat to professional wrestling fans. I love this. I want the camera to capture Ishii's expression when Cassidy's doing his stick. I want to be a little bit like, what's this? <laughs> Not a go with it, because, you know, Carter said he's vouched for him, but, you know, what's he doing? I love the idea of this match. And people wanted Murray's take. Unfortunately, he's busy doing something else, and I think we forgot to invite him. But um, <laughs> I think that he'll want to see the butcher and... Tomohiro Ishii do the great famed Ishii sequence where they just smash each other right in the jaw with their, in their cheek and the forearm. Neither man wants to budge until they both crumple at the same time, fire up. I think that Murray, and maybe I'm projecting because I want to see this as well, will want to see Ishii blind fury in his face in the butcher, nose to nose, and the butcher's got his tongue out. Uh, they beat each other up some more and uh, the blade will get pinned. Yeah. That's what he does. I I think he's very, very good in the role and I've missed seeing this tag team. I really have. But that's what he's there for. But that's not really what people are there for. They are there for the opening of the Forbidden Door and as much as I love the idea of the Carter and Omega, why wouldn't it? Their fourth match was my favourite of all time. And I do like the idea of a more broken Kenny doing it at some point, considering what a sports-oriented story about his stamina and his conditioning, the original quadrilogy, was all about. 
They are going to do, I don't blame them for doing a version of this, but they are going to do, it looks like, Chaos versus the Hardy family office. Kazuchika Okada. Greatest payoff to the Matt Hardy gag, isn't it? It's the greatest payoff. Kazuchika Okada. Tomohiro Ishii. uh, Orange Cassidy. Chuck Taylor and Wheeler Yuta versus Matt Hardy. Private party in the Butcher and the Blade in a 10-man. The wisdom of this is sound in that you don't want... Kazuchika Okada has to win whatever he does in AEW. It's senseless for him to do anything else. And more to the point, politically, New Japan Pro Wrestling will not allow him to do anything else. So he can't wrestle the people you want to wrestle because he'll have to beat them. He can't wrestle Cole. He can't wrestle Omega again. He can't wrestle Danielson. He has to wrestle just a mid-card heel. And unfortunately, the mid-card heel of the day is either... Your options are Bobby Fish or Matt Hardy. I would personally prefer to see Daniel Garcia, but Matt Hardy's considered more of a TV star. They will do something else with Kazuchika Okada, and I hope people exercise their patience. But at the same time, if what I've just laid out is in fact revealed to be what happens, I'll be a little bit like, oh, wait a minute. Okada versus Matt Hardy, are you joking? Murray, you are on this podcast for a specific reason. As soon as this match graphic was announced, loads of people on Twitter said, we need your thoughts on the Ishii Butcher confrontation and how specifically you see it playing out. I mean, I don't really think my thoughts on this match are particularly insightful or even that interesting. It's uh, just two rough, hard-nosed men who are going to smash their masculinity into each other <laughs> um, whenever they share the same space in the ring. Uh, it's it's my favourite singles wrestler of all time and my favourite current tag team. It's the coolest thing about this new wrestling reality is that if you have something in your head that's even halfway feasible... Like there's even the slightest chance it's going to happen. It's going to happen if you're patient enough. Um, it's the Andy Murray offer match. The only way this could be more me is if Orange Cassidy was somehow substituted for a returning uh, uh, Katsuyori Shibata you know? <laughs> or, or Powerhouse Hobbs or someone. Um, they're going to gurn. They're going to grunt. They're going to throw forearms. They're probably going to no-sell, but that's cool because no-selling is cool. The butcher's going to stick his tongue out. That's exactly what I said. There you go. He's going to do the natural born killers thing. He's just going to gurn at him and butcher's going to try and do a lariat or something and he'll pop by. It's going to be the best. It's going to be the most. Jack and Orange Cassidy's going to do the butcher's walk. Oh, do you think he's capable of doing <laughs> Like a lazy version like of Like mechanically, he just falls over while he's, <laughs> while he's kneeling down. Um, I, it, it, it's going to be phenomenal. And like the nice side of this is that every time I've ever tweeted about Big Tom or whatever, uh, there's a good chance when I do that that the butcher replies and says, I really want to wrestle Big Tom. So it's nice for him. Yes. And it's going to be a nice jaw-rattling good time that I am probably going to feel like I've been concussed after watching. Uh, well, if you want to let Andy know your thoughts, uh, you can tweet him at Andy H. Murray. Uh, I have like, want to get your, your thoughts as well. Personally, for me, I'm just happy that the, the little lad I had to be security for in WCPW, Tomohiro Ishii, is finally getting <laughs> Jesus Christ. You'll get killed for saying something like that. Oh, that is, that is the most absurd visual 
I was, oh, it, and, and I'm looking at you in the middle of November and I can say that. It was honestly, it was one of the first days I worked for WCP. Putting the dick in Richard Madeley with that comment. Because <laughs> <laughs> like they were just like, oh, um, are you all right doing like security for, for them when they're doing their signings and their meet and greets? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll do whatever. Obviously, I'm just happy to be here. And they're like, cool, you're at this table. And it was Tom Hiroshi. And I was like, I think if anything kicks off, I think he can probably handle himself. <laughs> Posturous. But anyway, Hamlet, uh, yeah. You've sort of given us your thoughts on the, the forbidden door swinging open again. But uh, with regards to this match, as uh, mouth-watering it is, how do you see it playing out? Nothing else to add that my esteemed colleagues haven't already brilliantly covered there. And I, all I will say is that as much as... Like my use of a card, like I'm very aware of the fantasy versus the reality here, but I will echo Sidgwick's point about this. <laughs> they are not asking you to just accept big money Matt versus the Rainmaker. Who's got the most cash? Like that's not the be all and end all of Okada. This is a delicate political arrangement that for the betterment of its continuing over the next hopefully months and years to come, you kind of, um, you know, sometimes yeah. Got to put her with a rain to get a rainbow. Who said that? Dolly Parton. And people just say she was a big pet. Anyway, like, <laughs> so this this is very much that. For... Rain, you got a rainmaker. Perfect. Look at that. I, I can't top that. Can I wrap it up? Well, let us know your thoughts ahead of AEW Dynamite tonight on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE, of course. Uh, watch there. You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet. Follow Michael Sidrick at. M. Sidgwick, by my book at whatculture.bigcartel.com. You took the words right out of my mouth. It must have been when you were kissing me, uh, Michael Sidgwick. You follow me. This prick has gone full partridge today. You can follow Andy at Andy H. Murray. And don't forget, today is the last day, if you're a listener here in the UK, to order the delicious Top Rope Brewing uh, beers for Survivor Series, or as I like to call it, Survivor Beeries. Uh, 12 craft beers, £45. Uh, just enter the code here's why at checkout for free delivery as well uh, to get your hands on that. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Our NXT review is available right now, and our review of this show will be available tomorrow, of course. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite preview. My thanks to the Dadly Boys, to Andy, to you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.